what we are going to do, I wish that I could tell you that there was a specific verse to turn to. However, um, we're going to be all over the Bible. We are going to be here. We're going to be there. We're going to be everywhere, and we will see where God's Word takes us. So, tonight's study, and the name of it, is Temptations, Trials, and Testing. Now, I always find it interesting that when you meet a new Christian, often they feel as though they've given their life to Christ, and then suddenly everything is going to be rosy. It's going to be wonderful. There's going to be unicorns and rainbows and skittles falling from the sky because they now have Christ as their Savior. Now, don't get me wrong. One of the most glorious and beautiful things is accepting Christ into your heart and having him and having the promise, uh, God's promise of eternity together with him. However, um, there are going to be trials and tribulations. It's as simple as that. So it's not going to be everything being rosy, but in fact, the complete opposite. If you turn in your Bibles, we're going to start off with John chapter 16, verse 33. John sixteen thirty-three. John sixteen thirty-three. And here it is, Jesus is speaking, and it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may find peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, hold your finger on that place and then flip back to Matthew 24, 9. And in Matthew 24, 9, here once again, Jesus is speaking and he says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So, are you hearing it? Doesn't it sound rosy? <laughs> Let's take one more look. One more look. First uh, Peter 4, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. First Peter, chapter 4, 12 and 13. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, that, if, you, if you think about it, that that's kind of sounds completely opposite, doesn't it? Right? Hey, here it is. Don't think it's strange. There's going to be fiery trials. Oh, they're going to partake. There's going to be sufferings, you know, all of that good stuff. But rejoice, <laughs> right? Now, let me ask you this. Um, is there anyone here who is dealing with a trial, the tribulation right now? All right. So one person. The rest of you, don't worry. You will. Why? Because God's word says so. Remember in John 16, it says in the word, it does not say in the world you might have tribulation, but it says that you will. So tonight what we're going to do is as we're looking at trials, tribulations, and testing, 
We're going to see successes. We're going to see failures. We're going to take a look and see what we are tested with and how to combat that. Would you pray with me? Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you now. And Lord, here it is. Um, Your word says that we will be tested. So Lord, if we're not going through a trial right now, one is probably just around the corner. But Lord, I just pray that as we delve into your word, Lord, as we read through your, your, your mighty words, that you would just speak amazingly to us, that you would go ahead and show us your ways, Lord, and pray that you would keep us in those ways, that you would show us how to combat when the trials and tribulations come, how we can be long-suffering, how we can be more like you. God, we just thank you so very much. So Lord, I just pray that if there's anything of man, that you would just make it fall on deaf ears. But Lord, if it is truly of you, I pray that you would etch etch it upon our hearts. Know how much we love you, how much we thank you. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so... When we first look at temptations, I think that it's important to do two things. First, we need to go ahead and define it. And second, what is it that we are going to be tempted with? So as we look at the, temp- uh, the definition of temptation, um, what we're going to do is we're going to use the word that's most frequently used in the Bible, uh, the Greek word prezo. And it's, it's Greek for temptation, and it means more oftenly or better accurately translated means to try or to make proof of or testing instead of temptation. Now, uh, to expand on that definition just a little bit, to try whether a thing can be done or to try to make trial of, test for the purposes of ascertaining their quality or what a person thinks or how he will behave. Okay? So if we break this down a little bit and we just think about, well, what a person thinks. Okay, well, here it is. We've all taken tests in school and the teacher hands out the tests and we go ahead and we put down the answers. Well, what is it that we're conveying to the teacher? We're conveying what it is that we think. Right or wrong, we're going ahead and putting down those answers, right? It is a test. And I really like how it says how we will behave. Because, you know, a lot of times we get placed into situations and we're not exactly sure what our outcome is going to be. You know, I'd love to tell you that here it is. If a, if a gunman came through the door right now, the first thing that I would do is I would reach down, grab my 40, and I would be heading straight for him. But you know what? Until such a time as I'm tested, we won't really know, will we? Now, I assure you, if a gunman comes through the door... I'm grabbing my 40 and going at him full bore, okay? <laughs> Truly placing others before self, all right? So rest in that. <laughs> That's right. And, and the way that this church packs, exactly, Kevin, there'll be about four of us, okay? Now, sometimes our trials are spiritual, and we can feel, literally feel, the oppression of the enemy just weighing down on us. And it's when Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, you know, a lot of times it's funny because we're being attacked and we don't even realize that we're going through it. Have you ever been there where here it is, 
you just, you know, you're, uh, a friend of yours says something and it just sets you off and you're just like, oh, you're such a jerk. Why, why did you say that? Why would you say that? What are you thinking? You know, and it just automatically, there's this heated debate and it was something over like, hey, do you want to have Waba Grill again for lunch? <laughs> See, and spiritual attacks can be like that. It's that little whisper in your ear and something as simple as that can set you off. But that's those spiritual attacks, right? And again, it's always best when we recognize it, okay? Um, you know, my wife and I, we've been married for almost 25 years now. And one of the beauties of being married and being so close to each other, having that intimate relationship is here it is, sometimes she is the one who's being oppressed. She's the one who's under attack. And maybe it was, it was little things that all happened and built up throughout the day. So I come home and she's just like, you know, you didn't even call. The dinner's cold. How many times, you know, and, and there's, and there's, and, and, you know, and sometimes I immediately respond, you know, of the flesh. And, I, and I'm just like, oh, wait a second. Hey, hey, I worked hard all day, woman. <laughs> well, I say that on the inside, on the outside. I'm like, yes, dear, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but, and then every once in a while, you know, she'll goat me into that, into that spirited debate that I like to call it, right? <laughs> into that spirited debate. And then suddenly the proverbial light goes on and I realize, ah, I'm not battling against flesh and blood right here. And I kind of calm down a little bit and I get her to calm down. And it's funny too. And one of the ways that I can, I, I just know instantly that it's a spiritual battle is I'll say, you know what, honey, we need to pray. And she said, I don't want to pray. <laughs> Bingo. Spiritual battle. <laughs> okay. But again, so sometimes it's, it's spiritual trials that we're going through. Okay. Sometimes it's physical trials that we're going to. Do you remember when Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh? Right. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start off with verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And it says, And lest I should exalt above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet at me, lest I be exalted above measure. Verse 8, concerning these, this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, you see, here it is. Some people believe that, uh, that when Paul is talking about that flesh in the, in, uh, uh, thorn in the flesh, uh, it's a physical type of thing. So, in other words, um, often when Paul went into towns to preach the gospel, he wasn't necessarily greeted with a red carpet. As a matter of fact, 
Usually he got the snot beat out of him, you know. Uh, there was the, the attempts to kill him. One time even having to be lowered outside of the city walls in a basket in order to escape being killed, okay. So a lot of people believe that thorn in the side was just uh, because of the constant uh, beatings and abuses that he took, you know, suffering for our Lord. Um, so, that, so they believe that it could have been one of those that, was, that he was the thorn in the side and he was asking God to heal him. However, notice what it says here. After it says, the thorn in the side was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Ah, so that maybe it wasn't just physical, but maybe it was spiritual also. He was literally being oppressed by Satan's demons, okay? Trying to mess him up every opportunity that he could, okay? Um, and if you think about it as, you know, the majority of the Bible that he wrote in the New Testament, um, yeah, I think Satan would have wanted to thwart as much as possible of his good works that he was doing for the Lord. Amen? Yeah. So, again, rejoice that your foot got broken playing soccer or that it was hurt over in El Salvador, okay? And boast in your infirmities, Michael. <laughs> now, you know, but that's another excellent example. Here it is. How long was it before you were up and uh, walking, Michael? A day, okay? Here it is. It's black and blue. It's completely swollen, right? We're doing missions work over in El Salvador. And within a day, he's up, he's walking on it, doing the Lord's work once again. And that was a beautiful thing. That was a beautiful thing. God answered that. God answered that call and said, I got more Michael. I've got more work for you to do, Michael. It's as simple as that, right? So we rejoice in those infirmities. Now, Paul said that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Well, then, what is it that Satan uses as his weapon? Sin. He uses sin. Now, the interesting thing is he really only has three plays in his playbook. That's it. And we're going we're gonna to touch on that in, in, uh, in just a little bit. It's from uh, 1 John 2.16. However, okay, um, have you ever heard of the seven deadly sins? Right. First off, very Catholic. Okay, seven deadly sins, um, and it's something. It, basically, the seven deadly sins are pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. Okay, and you see things like this were perpetuated. For example, there was a book called uh, Dante's Inferno, and in it, uh, it, it talked about uh, the different levels of hell, and each layer was uh, the uh, the souls were burning there based on off of their sins. And it had seven layers to it, okay? But actually, I wouldn't say seven deadly sins, but more like 17. If you would now turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16. And we're going to start there. Chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust of the, uh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Am I reading the right passage? 5, 16. Yes, yes, okay, okay. Yes, perfect. Um, it was just a little bit further. Um, verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, cleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So, when we break it down, it's not seven deadly sins, but 17. And as Paul is going through each of these, right, he starts off with adultery, okay? Then fornication, then uncleanness. Now, uncleanness, what does that mean? So if you haven't taken a shower or a bath in the past week, then you're not going to heaven? <laughs> is, is that what he's talking about here? No, okay? He's talking about unclean thoughts, impure thoughts or evil thoughts or things that will come out of our mouth, vulgarities, okay? That's uncleanliness, okay? Then he goes on about lewdness. And it's not the lewdness that we have in, uh, if we think about like today's society, but lewdness more meant villainy or wickedness, okay? Then idolatry. And, you know, obviously back in that time, right, what was idolatry? Idolatry was literally, you know, these little figures that people would pray to and, uh, you know, and, and think that these, these small G gods were going to go ahead and, and like Tanner was talking about on uh, last night, you know, and bring the rain or, uh, you know, give them uh, a child or any of those kind of things or, or, you know, the God of mammon, you know, of money and, and everything. And there was that kind of idolatry. Um, however, today... We very much have our own idolatry, don't we? Yeah, everything from the cars that we drive, the houses that we own. Um, you know, and, and not that these are bad things in themselves, but if you're out there at 5 o'clock in the morning washing your car, shining it, and everything, yeah, you might be borderline <laughs> making that car just a little bit more of an idol, okay? Um, sorcery, and I love this. I love this. Sorcery, yes, okay? So... That means Gandalf will never go to heaven, right? <laughs> no, it's not talking about wandering wizards, okay? But instead, what sorcery is, um, it, it's where we get the word pharmakia, okay? Which, does that sound familiar at all? Pharmacy, so drugs. Yeah, that's what it's talking about here, okay? So the practicing or continued use of, of drugs, okay? Um, ha hatred, contention. Okay? And contention. So in other words, striving against opposition, being quarrelsome, uh, constantly disputing. You know, uh, my six-year-old has reached that age to where here it is, she's starting to get very wise within herself. <laughs> and she'll say, okay, Connie, it's time for bed. Well, it's not really time for bed. I could stay up a little bit later if I wanted to. Uh, no. <laughs> it's time for bed. And, but that's what it is, okay? It's that contentious nature that she's exercising now. And it has to be put into place, sometimes with the squat, <laughs> other times more just uh, 
no, a very stern voice, and I think it's time to go right now. Usually that's all it takes. But there are those with that contentious nature, okay? Jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Now, fortunately, I've never had to deal with this sin, okay? (laughs) Wait a second. Didn't I just talk about Michelle and I getting into spirited debates? All right. I digress. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions, okay? So dissensions. So in other words, disagreements or differences of opinions. Ah, interesting. Because I heard it once said, opinions are like armpits. Everybody has them and they all stink. (laughs) So we don't constantly want to be dissentious, okay? Heresies or rejecting a belief. Opposition. Um, especially established views or primarily when it comes to dogma, okay? Or God's word, okay? Um, Envy, murders, okay? Drunkenness, uh, revelries or rioting or boisterous and intemperance. Now, has anybody in this room had to deal with any of those sins? Okay, a bunch of head nods, except for one saint in the back (laughs) who's never dealt with any any of those things, right? Yeah. Revelries, revelries, riotous or boisterous. You know, there was one time when I was very much involved right in the middle of a riot and not the good kind either, (laughs) okay? However, um, I was stationed up in Fort Lewis and with that, there was a a detachment of uh, uh, British soldiers that were there. And uh, one night we were in the NCO club and my partner says to me, he says, hey, he says, you got my back? So I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I, I got you. So I'm thinking maybe, you know, somebody's giving him a hard time or mad dogging him or something like that. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got your back, right? He stands up and he yells at the top of his lungs, the queen's a fag. <laughs> Every Brit in the place stands up, okay? <laughs> you don't insult the queen. It's as simple as that, okay? Needless to say, I made a beeline strike for the door throwing chairs, trying just to make it through. I'm getting punches and everything like that. And I was like, if you ever do that to me again, I'll kill you. <laughs> Don't worry about the Brits that are chasing us, right? But, uh, but yeah, you might say that my partner had a little bit of a uh, revelous nature. <laughs> so here it is. We have all of these things, and these are the sins. These are the things that Satan goes ahead and uses against us. These are the things that he'll whip up, that he'll stir inside of each of us. Now, a little bit earlier, I said that basically Satan only has three plays in his playbook, right? So let's see what those three plays are, okay? Turn with me to 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16. And in 1 John 2.16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Okay, who's the father of this world right now? Satan, right? Guess what? That is how he goes ahead and attacks us. That's what he uses, is those three plays. Lust of the flesh, lust of, uh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Think about it. Think about any sin that, that we just named out of those 17 and it'll pretty fall, pretty much fall under any one of those three categories, doesn't it, right? Now, 
you know, initially you might think, oh, well, wait a second. Satan, I mean, here it is. He's got to have a lot of plays in his playbook, right? I mean, it's got to be this huge book because he's just taking out sinners left and right. Sad part is, all he needs is those three. He's done it since the very beginning in Genesis all the way up until now and continues to win souls. So remember those things. Recognize those things. Recognize that that is the enemy, okay? He does. He uses those three things in his playbook time and time again. Now, the interesting thing about that is, okay, so Adam, here it is. We recognize that there is going to be trials and tribulations. There's going to be testings in our lives. We understand now that here it is. Satan uses these three plays. Satan uses all of these things, adultery, fornication, drunkenness, all of these things in order to tear us down, in order to try to rip our very soul out of the grip of God. However, are there successes and failures using these very same things? Yeah, there are. And I'm just going to bring up some of them. Um, if we were to go back into the Old Testament, we'd find Samson. Samson, godly man, right? Yes and amen? <laughs> Kevin's, Kevin's shaking his head in the back. No, no, not exactly. You know, he starts off on the right path and, and uh, you know, was, was literally born um, into the, um, not, not Jesus, Jesus uh, Nazareth, okay? Nazareth order, okay? So here it is, literally born for God, okay? However, as you read throughout the scriptures, what happens? Certain things start happening, right? Um, if you remember, here it was, he comes across a carcass, okay? Nazarenes weren't supposed to be around any dead things. And he finds honey that's within there. Ah, not supposed to have the honey either, okay? And what does he do? He eats of it, right? So along the way, Samson keeps making these little mistakes, okay? He ends up marrying who? Delilah, yes, okay? Exactly, right? Ends up marrying Delilah. Should he have married Delilah? No, no, you see? Even, even his choice in women, he kind of messes up. And then what happens, right? Delilah gets tempted, right? She wants a little bit of uh, lust, uh, lust of the eyes. She gets so, you know, uh, uh, given a little bit of cash on the side. And next thing you know, here it is. She's trying to figure out Samson's strength. Okay, wants to go ahead and get overcome. Now, first off, without reading, going through the whole story and everything like that, I think after the second or third time of men rushing in, trying to take out Samson, after right after you told your wife, hey, yeah, this is where my strength lies, okay? I think of, well, in police work, that's what we call a clue, <laughs> okay? And unfortunately, Samson didn't have a clue. And what ends up happening, ultimately, Right, His hair gets cut off, he loses his strength, and he gets captured. His eyes get taken out and everything. Right, um, Not necessarily a huge success, is it? Now, does God give him back his strength? Yeah, he does, okay? When here it is, he relinquishes himself, he gives everything, he's, you know, just, hey, Lord, I give it all back to you. His hair grows, God gives him back his strength, and he's able to take out a bunch of the Philistines, just like that. So that was kind of a failure. Now, uh, let's look at a success, okay? David, a man after God's own heart, okay? There is a success story. 
Constantly, constantly. He fought many battles. He fed tens of thousands fell, you know, at his sword. Uh, there was a success story. And he, he goes ahead and, and God brings him Bathsheba. And uh, it was a perfect union, uh, a marriage made in heaven. Wait a second. No? <laughs> no, what happens, right? Here it is, hot summer night. David's up on the rooftop. However, where should David have been? Yes, he should have been fighting with his men. The scripture starts off with that, saying this was a time of battle, okay? It was a time that he should have been leading his men, leading them courageously. And instead, he was home. He was relaxing, okay? Letting his generals do all the work. And what ends up happening? He sees this beautiful woman bathing on the rooftop, okay? So again, he averts his eyes, goes downstairs and said, I shall never think of her again. Uh, no. <laughs> no, instead, right? Here it is, finds out who she is. They end up sleeping together. Oh, she's married. Oops. She gets pregnant. Double oops, <laughs> okay? Hey, I got a great idea. I'll go ahead and bring her husband home. I'll go ahead, hey, you know what? Take your time. But what happens? He's a righteous man. He doesn't go ahead and lies with her. Instead, sleeps on the doorstep. Okay? Okay. That sin didn't work. Let me try another. Right? Ends up getting him killed in battle. Okay? And ultimately, his sin is found out. And, uh, yeah, not exactly a glowing success story there. Okay? Went through the trials. Failed. Samson went through the trials. Failed. Is there any hope? Is there anybody that we can look to in order to go ahead and see a success story? What do you think? If there's one person we can look to, who can we look to? Jesus! Jesus! Yes, amen. Yes, all right, all right. So, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. And here it is. It starts off with the temptations of Christ. That's probably the header in your Bible. Or Satan tempts Jesus. Um, it's, it's always interesting because, again, when you, when you think about it, can God really be tempted? Can he be tempted? He's God, right? <laughs> he's going to do whatever he wants to do. However, he's holy, he's righteous, so he's not going to go ahead and be able to fall into any kind of sin. But Satan definitely gives it his best shot, doesn't he, right? And so here it is. It says, it says in uh, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay? Um, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now, understand that this is part of Satan's tactics as well. He doesn't come to us when we are at our strength. He doesn't come to us when we are at that in, in, in the best of conditions. He comes to us when we're completely exhausted and we just got home from work, okay? He comes to us, okay? When here it is, we're, we're struggling, when we're, we're, we're having problems with something. And then there's that suggestion. Hey, you know what? Why don't you just have a beer? Have a beer, relax a little bit. That'll make everything all right. And then one beer leads to two, to three, to five, to six. And then we go right back into the sin. 
the drunkenness, right? Yeah. So he takes us and he attacks us when we are at our lowest, okay? So, do you think Jesus was on a high, right? 40 days, 40 nights, no food, water, anything, right? Middle of the desert or the wilderness, as it says, right? Yeah. No, I mean, literally, after 40 days of fasting, okay, your body is shutting down. Your body is dying. Your body is crying out. Everything about it wants some kind of food or some kind of water. It needs that sustenance, right? So what does Satan do? He goes ahead and he says, um, if you are the son of God, command that these stones be made of bread. Okay? Now, could Jesus have done that? Yeah. Very easily. Okay? He could have just spoken the words and stones would have been turned to bread. Now, don't you think that that would have been very tempting also? You haven't eaten anything in 40 days. What is it that Satan is going ahead and fighting against? Or what is it that he's appealing to? He's appealing to the provision of God. Okay? That's what he's attacking. He's saying, hey, hey, God's not going to provide for you. Just go ahead. Turn these stones. Turn these stones into bread. Take care of yourself. And you know, I think we do that a lot of times. We, our first, our first thought isn't, you know what, I need to pray. I need to ask God in order to help me through this trial. I need to ask God in order to provide for me. Okay? Think about the missions trip that we just recently went on. Okay? Each and every one of you, when, when Tanner put it out, right, said, oh, this is awesome. And I have $1,300 sitting in my pocket right now in order to go ahead and pay for the missions trip. Right? I didn't. <laughs> but God is good. He is faithful. And he provided. And that is so awesome that we can go ahead and we have a great, a great provider like that. And when those trials come, those testing come, because I signed up for, for the El Salvador trip. I had no clue where I was going to get this extra $1,300. Okay? And yet God is faithful and he provided. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. So, Satan says, turn these stones, okay, into bread. And so Jesus goes ahead and says, oh, okay. No, what does he say? <laughs> he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How did he combat Satan? With scripture. That's a, that's a, a piece of scripture from Deuteronomy, Okay. He combats Satan with scripture. And I love that. I love that. Man cannot live by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I used to have a friend um, that, uh, that he had a poster on his wall. And it said on the top of it, man cannot live by bread alone. And it had a giant picture of a beer mug. <laughs> Evil days before we were walking with Christ, right? Yeah, okay. I don't think that's exactly what Jesus was talking about here. Okay. So then what happens next? The devil took him up into the holy city and put him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Ah, now this is something that should scare the living bejesus out of each and every one of us. Okay. Satan knows scripture, doesn't he? Yeah. And he will use that against you. You know, um, how many times have, have, have we taken scripture out of context? You know, and so many people will do that. 
oh, well, I really like this section. Eh, not so much this section over here, right? You know, I mean, so if, and if we were to do something like that, hey, um, you know what? In Ecclesiastes, he says there's a time for peace. There's a time for war. There's a time to kill. There's a time to kill. Sweet. Let me get my 40 back out. <laughs> well, I'm a police officer anyway, and that's what the media says I do anyway, right? I just randomly walk up to cars and shoot people. Yeah, so it's okay. It's okay. Hey, just going by scripture, time to kill. <laughs> right? Yeah, but we can't, take, we can't take things out of context, and that's exactly what Satan is doing here when he's tempting Christ, right? He's going ahead and he's saying, hey, angels are going to get charge over you. And Jesus goes ahead and he fires back with his forty caliber, now, how does Jesus combat him? With Scripture. Again, right? And he says, It is written, again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. So then the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will, will I give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, Let's think about this for a minute. Here it is. He lays out all the kingdoms of the world. He says, these all can be yours. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to be whipped. You don't have to be beaten. You don't have to be nailed. You don't have to die a painful death. But instead, all you have to do is bow down and worship me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking my flesh cries out, I don't want to be whipped. I don't want to be beaten. I don't want all of the people that I love to turn on me, to spit on me, to throw things at me, to mock me. I think that's a huge temptation, a huge test. But remember, what did we say that a test was? To go ahead and to see how we're going to act, how we're going to react to a certain situation, right? Yeah. And how does Jesus react? He says, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and minister to him. You see, here it was. God was focusing, excuse me, Satan was focusing on God's provision. He was focusing on his protection. He was focusing on, on, um, on his promise, okay? On all of those things, trying to tear each and every one of those down as he tested Jesus. But is this a successful story? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because not only did he win the spiritual battle against Satan, he won the physical battle too, didn't he? And angels came and ministered to him. And you know what they gave him? Angel food cake. <laughs> Is that what you'd want? That's what I'd want from an angel, <laughs> right? And once again, God comes through, right? He provides. He gave him the protection. But what we can really glean from this part of the passage here is how we go about combating the trials, the temptations, and all of the, the, the testing that we get, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, all of those things. How do we combat it? 
just like Jesus did. We combat it with Scripture. And you know, sometimes it is just a matter of being in His Word. So in other words, waking up first thing in the morning or throughout your day, having that devotion where you're in God's Word and you're keeping that close to your heart, right? Sometimes it's, a, it's, it's actually a, 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 you know, a, um, um, a literal thing where here it is, somebody says, you know, hey, do you want to come party with us tonight? This is Kegger that's going on, right? And you just say, hey, you know what, drunkenness? Hey, I want to inherit the kingdom. So actually co- quoting scripture, just like Jesus did in order to combat those attacks that come against us. And sometimes it's just keeping that scripture etched upon our heart, knowing that here it is in the world, we're going to have those trials, those temptations, and keeping Christ as close to us as possible. Um, we're going to start kind of wrapping things up here. And in Zechariah 4, 6, it says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, if we're in his word, if we're praying, if we're keeping his spirit alive inside of each and every one of us, then you know what? That is one of the things that's going to protect us because we are going to be ready. We're going to have that full armor, spiritual armor of God on, and we're ready, not by what Adam does, not by what Michael does, okay, in our physical sense, but in that spiritual sense, what God is going to do in order to go ahead and protect us. And, you know, sometimes if we just listen to the Spirit, He's going to lead us. He's going to lead us away from those temptations. Remember, here it was, Paul wanted to go and minister, and yet the Holy Spirit restrained him, would not allow him to go. And I believe it was Phrygia, Phygeria, probably completely butchering it, (laughs) but wouldn't allow him. But yet also, just as it says here, when we read in Matthew 4, right, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. You see, sometimes we're going to be tested. Sometimes we're going to be tried. And, you know, it's not, it's not as if, um, you know, God doesn't know what the outcome is going to be, but it's for us. Do you remember Job, right? Here it was. God clearly says to Satan, hey, have you considered my man Job? Okay? You can do anything you want. Okay? Any trials. He's not going to go ahead and rebuke me. Okay? He's not going to turn his back on me. And Satan tried it. Boils all over his body. Took away his family. Took away his wealth. Took away all of these things. Anything that would devastate, easily devastate, any one of us sitting here in the room. But yet he remains faithful. God allowed that to happen. And one of the beautiful things is that many times the things that Satan meant for evil, God can use for good. And that is so powerful. That is so, so powerful. So, we're going to wrap it up with 1 Peter 6 and 7. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, excuse me, cha- uh, I'm sorry, 1 Peter, I've got it written down wrong. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7. Let me get there. Yes. Okay. So, verse 6. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. The genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. That is so powerful. Because when I read that, you know what it tells me? Number one, it tells me that we're going to go through the fire. It tells me that we're going to be tested, that there is going to be those trials, okay? Also, it says it's going to test the genuineness of our faith. You've probably heard it before, but if you would allow me just to reiterate it, and we'll wrap up with this. But you've, it, it, the Bible talks about the refiner's fire, where here it is, it, the refiner, he goes ahead and he heats up the precious metal, and with it, the impurities all float to the top. And here it is, the refiner will slowly take off those impurities from the top so that there is no more impurities and that the refiner can see his reflection in that gold, in that precious metals. We are those precious metals. We are those things that are being refined, those sins being scraped off of the top so that eventually it's Christ that shines within each and every one of us. And he's seeing his own reflection in all of us. See, we're going to be tested. We're going to be tried. But to the praise, the glory, and the honor of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, we love. And he loves us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, how can we ever thank you enough? Lord, here it is. You've given us these amazing pieces of Scripture. You've allowed us to go ahead and read your word, to bring out your truths, to show us, Lord, how it should be done. God, we need to hold you close. Lord, even in Proverbs, it says that you can't hold coals against your chest and not be burnt. Lord, we want to hold you close to our chest so that we can go ahead and have that intimacy, that closer relationship with you, God, each and every day so that we are ready, so that we are prepared, so that when, when, not if, but when those trials come, we are prepared. God, thank you. Thank you for showing us the way. And Lord, just continue to be by our side. Watch over us, keep us safe, keep our families safe. And Lord, just pray an extra measure of blessing for everyone that hears this, this message, Lord, that truly you would do a great work in all of our lives. And that each and every day, you would allow us just to get to know you a little bit better. We just thank you. We love you. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.